New York State Department of Health, including skin color as criteria for authorization of scarce COVID treatments, isolation and social media's part in LGBTQ youth, and is our ability to concentrate being destroyed? Welcome to Fair News Weekly. To read all of the articles discussed in this podcast, please visit fairforall.org news. FAIR is proud to announce the launch of FAIR Perspectives, the official podcast of the pro-human movement. The podcast is hosted by FAIR advisors Melissa Chen and Angel Eduardo, and will feature in-depth conversations with public intellectuals, authors, and industry leaders as well as everyday teachers, students, employees, and others dedicated to building a better world. Sign up for alerts on new episodes and exclusive content and stay tuned for Episode 1 with Coleman Hughes premiering on January 17th on all podcast platforms. Recently, Round Rock Independent School District drafted a school board resolution titled Resolution Condemning Actions That Divide Our Community and Incite Hatred. However, despite the title, the resolution used language throughout that was vague and potentially divisive. Working closely with our expert legal team, Fair Austin responded to Round Rock's resolution point by point in order to help provide precise definitions for their vague terminology and be more inclusive to diverse perspectives. We are excited to announce the founding of our newest fair chapter in Rome, Georgia. The chapter is the second community-based chapter in Georgia after Fair Atlanta. This week, Fair Rome chapter leader Jennifer Thompson participated in a short Q&A about the chapter and her reasons for founding it. On Thursday, January 27th at 8 p.m. Central, Fair in Medicine will be hosting a webinar titled Medical Association Equity Agendas with Fair in Medicine fellows Dr. Sally Sattel, Dr. Marilyn Singleton, Dr. Aida Chirundolo, and Dr. Diana Bloom. Join us this Martin Luther King Jr. Day, January 17th at 4 p.m. Eastern, for a conversation about Dr. King's illuminating paper on the purpose of education. To learn how King's philosophy on education informs FAIR's approach to developing curricular resources for K-12 teachers. The title of the webinar is The Purpose of Education and the FAIR Story Curriculum, and will be hosted by FAIR's very own Adam Seagrave, Heather Thomas, and Angel Eduardo. This week on the Fair for All Substack, we published a new Fair Advisor Spotlight profile by Sophie Lee on filmmaker Eli Steele. Eli Steele, much like his father Shelby Steele, is known for challenging popular narratives about race in America and the way they impact our everyday decisions and personal relationships. In 2020, during a year of high racial unrest, Eli and his father released What Killed Michael Brown, a documentary film examining Brown's death and racial tensions that arose around it. The film took a critical look at the narrative brought forward by progressives and Black Lives Matter activists. Though Steele himself is a descendant of slaves and Holocaust survivors, the idea that Black American life today is largely shaped by oppressive, systematic forces is one that Steele takes to task. The film was immediately banned by Amazon Prime, citing quality control concerns. Though the documentary has garnered both praise and scorn, Steele is satisfied that it has spurred healthy debate and caused some to question the veracity of many dominant narratives driven more by emotion than facts. 
For Persuasion, Fair Advisor Zed Jelani reports on a recent memorandum by the New York State Department of Health that includes skin color as a criterion for authorizing the use of scarce COVID treatment, citing, long-lasting systemic health and social inequities have contributed to an increased risk of severe illness and death from COVID-19. Jelani calls on medical policymakers to stop deciding which patients can get access to COVID medicine based on the color of their skin, because there isn't any evidence that race itself has any impact on COVID-19 severity. According to Jelani, the virus doesn't care about the color of one's skin. Rather, race is simply correlated with factors, such as obesity rates, that are causing health disparities. Jelani says that race-based policies not only make little medical sense, but they create a larger political and social problem and stoke racial divisions by legitimizing certain forms of racial discrimination through the distribution of scarce government resources. This week on The Glenn Show, Fair Advisor Glenn Lowry spoke with Bob Woodson. In the 1960s, Woodson was a civil rights activist and organizer who has since made it his mission to solve the problems of poverty and dysfunction in America. To that end, Woodson founded the Woodson Center, which helps fund and advise programs aimed at solving these issues. In this conversation, Woodson and Lowry discuss problems surrounding large-scale anti-poverty funding, such as their inefficiency, vulnerability to misappropriation, and adverse incentive structures that create cycles of dependency that prevent recipients from achieving self-sufficiency. Ultimately, Woodson believes that people must work directly with people from impoverished communities and, when appropriate, utilize their religious faith as a starting point for practical reform. For Quillette, Kenneth R. Pike wrote about diversity in education and the common claim that diverse matriculation is of intellectual benefit to students. In some ways, according to Pike, there are intellectual benefits to diversity, citing an example from one of his own class discussions where a girl from Iraq was able to add invaluable and enlightening first-person perspective on a discussion about the quality of life under tyranny versus anarchy. However, Pike points out that recruiting students to serve as pedagogical tools has its own issues, namely that it actively burdens minority students by requiring them to contribute their perspectives for the benefit of their classmates. Instead of justifying affirmative action policies on the basis of this diversity rationale, Pike highlights the work of Kimberly Rays, who suggests a reparative rationale, where past oppression of one's identity group justifies special benefits to oneself without regard for personal desert or incidental benefits, such as exposure to diverse viewpoints, as might accrue to others. In his essay, Pike discussed these and other common rationales for affirmative action policies, comparing and contrasting their practical, legal, and ethical components. For the Journal of Free Black Thought, Artist Kimi Katiti discussed the unhealthy relationship in our culture between victim status and what is called lived experience. Pulling from her own experience as a South African immigrant, Katiti describes the ways critical social justice ideology negatively impacted her perspective by insisting she view herself in terms of social inferiority and harm. She says, When I identified as a victim, my lived experience was lauded by all as authentic. However, when I came out as a proudly free-thinking black individual and no longer claimed victimhood as part of my identity, my lived experience was rejected and discredited by both friends and strangers alike. 
This striking selectiveness in other people's acceptance of my lived experience has led me down a somewhat sad and perplexing path. Only upon leaving college did Katiti fully realize that this cynical way of thinking, of filtering all of her daily interactions through a lens of racial power dynamics, did not sit well with her and actively eroded her mental well-being. Katiti has found the courage to speak out on her YouTube channel and hopes that other black individuals will consider jettisoning the expectation of victimhood and embracing instead first a positive expectation to meet with good in others. For the San Francisco Examiner, gender medical specialist Erica Anderson urged caution in using a ubiquitous affirmative approach to trans youth, suggesting that isolation and social media may be causing many kids to rush towards gender identity as answer to distress. Erica says, As a trans woman and therapist to trans and gender creative people, I've worked hard to advance acceptance of trans identities, including those of trans youth. But increasingly, I'm worried that our zeal to identify and protect these special children and adolescents, we may have strayed from some core principles and we are in danger of losing our way. While Anderson is happy that society is becoming more accepting of LGBTQ identities, she believes many worrying trends, increased depression and suicide, declines in dating and sexual activity, higher reports of loneliness, and less time outside combined with high rates of social media use may be causing youths to gravitate towards trans identities as a palliative. Anderson urges us to make sure that every young person questioning their gender gets what they need, not just what they want, because the pandemic is likely to persist indefinitely and social media is here to stay. On her substack, Lean Out, Tara Henley discussed why she resigned from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Henley describes how the quality and type of reporting has changed during her time at CBC. She says, When I started the National Public Broadcaster in 2013, the network produced some of the best journalism in the country. By the time I resigned last month, it embodied some of the worst trends in mainstream media. In a short period of time, the CBC went from being a trusted source of news to churning out clickbait that reads like a parody of the student press. Even more troubling than the turn to clickbait articles was the swift and dramatic political shift within the CBC, which she believes has compromised their journalistic integrity. According to Henley, in order to work at CBC, one must sign on enthusiastically to the radical political agenda and pretend that the woke worldview is near universal. One must accept the idea that race is the most significant thing about a person and that some races are more relevant to the public conversation than others. For The Guardian, Johan Hari claimed that our ability to concentrate is being destroyed by social media and many other facets of modern life. According to Hari, we are not now facing simply a normal anxiety about attention, of the kind every generation goes through as it ages. We are living in a serious attention crisis, one with huge implications for how we live. Hari spoke with Joel Nigg, an expert on children's attention problems, who believes that our society is developing an attentional pathological culture, or an environment in which sustained and deep focus is harder for all of us. Our inability to focus, according to Hari, is not the result of everyone suddenly becoming weak-willed. He believes our focus is essentially stolen. Hari calls for an urgent attention movement to reclaim our minds. 
because the more our attention degrades, the harder it will be to summon the personal and political energy to take on the forces stealing our focus. The first step it requires is a shift in our consciousness. We need to stop blaming ourselves or making only demands for tiny tweaks from our employers and from tech companies. We own our own minds, and together, we can take them back from the forces that are stealing them. Finally, if you liked this podcast, subscribe, share it with a friend, and leave us a rating and review. Make sure to check out our newsletter and weekly roundup to read more into any of this week's stories, or visit fairforall.org news. Donations are always welcome at fairforall.org donate.